I am really excited for this episode of the Tax Chick Podcast. Welcome to all of my regular listeners and to anybody who might be new that's listening today. Uh, July, I decided, was going to be Incorporation Month. We were going to talk about the ins and outs of incorporation because it seems like it's the topic that it just keeps popping up the most. And I feel it's the the thing that that people fear the most and have the most questions about. So decided to dedicate an entire month to it. And today's episode is with my friend Aaron, and we're we're not going to be technical at all. We're going to talk about the soft issues involved in uh, incorporating. And Aaron is actually going to share some of her personal experiences uh, with incorporation and and some of the fears that she faced and how she overcame them. And uh, we're going to talk a bit about the concept of dynamic decision making and dynamic strategic planning. I'm I'm really excited for you to to listen to this one. So Aaron and I met uh, through through LinkedIn, kind of in a backwards way. Aaron is good friends uh, with someone that I met uh, through my relationship with business coach Deb Fetter. And uh, this other individual's name is Stephanie. She lives in the States. I was speaking with Stephanie and she said, you have got to meet my friend Aaron. I feel like you guys were separated at birth. I feel like you're going to have a great chat. And so she made the introduction and sure enough, I felt like I had known Aaron my entire life. She is just fabulous. She is living in Winnipeg, Canada right now. And I really hope that once the pandemic lifts, I can go and hang out with her because she is super cool. And so Erin is my guest today, Erin uh, Romeo. She is the founder and the principal strategist at Pivot Turn. And Pivot Turn is a company that helps organizations navigate change. And she started her career as a litigation lawyer, and she has spent the last 15 years working in a variety of commercial roles. She has done work in intellectual property, in marketing, and in sales. She lives in Winnipeg with her husband, Matt, and she met Matt in law school. And they have a seven-year-old son, Max, and her ultimate goal is to show Max how she can build a company while also beating him at basement floor hockey. So Aaron and I have a great chat today, and I'm going to turn it over to that chat now and so excited to share our conversation with you. So without further ado, on to the episode. So Aaron, welcome to the podcast today. I am so excited to have you on here. I feel like we have such fun chats, and I know today is going to be no exception. It's my pleasure. I'm thrilled. <laughs> so I always ask my guests the same two questions. And I did give you a heads up on this. I'm really excited to hear your answer because you just seem super cool. So I feel like you're going to have a cool answer. <laughs> I think both questions are going to lead us into why I'm here to chat with you about tax today. And so the first one is, is uh, hey, what, what podcast do I listen to? Yeah, what's your what's your latest and greatest? I, it's always my go-to is Brene Brown unlocking us. And when I listen to it, I often listen to it when I'm trying to fall asleep. And there's something about the soothing Texas drawl, talking about vulnerability that maybe I'm not even really listening to the podcast. It's leaking into my subconscious as a comfort tool during the pandemic. I like that. I, I listen to podcasts too sometimes when I'm trying to fall asleep and it, it is helpful. I, I listen to the Calm app as well and those bedtime stories. I like yes. a good bedtime story. Those are those are good. I like okay, my bed your... I like my bedtime stories read by Brene Brown, right? Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and you know, I've never tried her podcast before bed, but that is a really good idea. I'm gonna have to it's on my list for favorites. So I'll have to give that one a try. Okay, I've never texted with you. We only email and talk online. So what what is the emoji you use most often when you text? 
What I thought it would be would be the red 100, which is usually how I respond to most (laughs) things. Like, hey, that's awesome, red 100. But when I went back and looked at the most recent and most often, it's the handover face emoji. Like, oh, is it really? It's shame. Oh, no. Right. So that tells you a little bit about all of my deep seated issues. And now we're going to talk about them in a tax context. I love that because I feel that. When I talk to you, I feel like you're the living embodiment of the hundred emoji because you're just so excited all the time. So I like that. That's That's a huge compliment. That's a huge compliment. (laughs) So we're going to talk about three things today. And and I guess as a proviso, like you are not a tax lawyer. We are not holding you out as a tax lawyer. I am not. In fact, I haven't practiced law longer than I practiced law. So I am. There you go. I'm not worthy of being here as part of your podcast. Oh, well, no, no, not not that. Just we don't want people, you know, assuming something that they're not. You have this whole other skill set that is so valuable and important to business owners. And so today we want to talk about the concept of incorporation, but we want to talk about it with respect to like tax adjacent issues, how tax is not the the be all and the end all. And we want to talk about some of the things that you would discuss with people if they were thinking about incorporating and also your own personal experiences when you moved into an incorporation setting. So we, we picked our three topics. So our three topics are going to be you know, what are the tax advantages of incorporation? Then what does it take to get incorporation? And then we're going to end off today by a discussion about dynamic decision-making models. So when you're thinking about incorporation, it's a bigger question. And we're going to end off with a discussion on that. So should we dive right into topic number one? Let's do it. Okay. So topic number one, the tax advantages of incorporation. So I came out of law school uh, very clearly understanding that corporate tax is lower than personal tax rates. Like if I took one thing away from studying tax law, it was that. Um, And I think when I found myself in the situation to start a business, I had a a unique situation. I was leaving a M&A situation corporately. I worked for a big company, had been purchased by an even bigger company. And because I was unwilling and unable to move, I became Mm -hmm. a, a severed employee who was exiting with some employment income for that year. So me now going out and finding another job or starting the business and earning money was just going to add to that tax burden as an employed person who is not really employed for a short period of time after leaving the company. So I intuitively thought, hey, maybe this is the opportunity for me to to go out on my own, to do some work. And it often resembles the people that I meet with who have a side hustle. You have Mm -hmm. a job. And now you are also earning other income from your business. Should you be putting it into a corporation and benefiting from the tax advantages? And my answer, not as a tax professional, but as somebody who has experienced it is 100% red 100. Yes, you should at least be exploring that. Because, you know, the ability to draw that money out over time, it kind of reminded me of when I was a commissioned associate in a law firm. Uh, and, I, and I thought about a draw way of earning money. And so for those people who've never been a commissioned associate, we'll deal with that another time. But uh, certainly from a, you know, a financial perspective is that I would get a draw every month, a certain amount of money that I would use to pay my mortgage and buy groceries. And then I would also kind of reconcile that at the end of the year with the amount of money I had earned. And if successful, I was getting paid a bonus and I was taking a small draw and recognizing what I was going to need to pay in tax. So that 
kind of became a mindset a mindset shift for me, where as a business owner, I stopped kind of being on the employment income treadmill of last year, I made X, this year, I'm going to make cost of living 2% more, or maybe I'll get a bonus, or maybe my salary will go up with a promotion to how much do I need to you know, earn in order mm-hmm. to pay my bills? And then how much money can I not spend and accumulate in a corporation and draw out slowly over time? And so those were really some of the things driving me to incorporate uh, and really explore those tax advantages in my situation. Well, I like the concept of you know exploring slowly drawing out money over time, because I think Every time I talk to a business owner and they're all gung-ho about incorporation and I say, well, it's great. And yes, there can be some tax advantages. But when I see someone that's basically going to take all the stuff that's in their corporation and pull it all out to themselves personally Mm. anyway, then we have to have a concept of discussion about the concept of integration. Mm -hmm. And this idea that, I mean, like you said, if you go in and earn a dollar personally for employment income, the idea of integration, of course, is that you you pay the same amount of tax on that dollar as you would if you earned it in a corporation and pulled it out. And and some years were more perfectly integrated than others in this country. But if you're pulling it all out, we lose a lot of the advantages. And why, so why are you so putting I, I it like in the first concept. place? Yeah. Exactly. You're just creating a whole bunch more problems for yourself. So I think you've really stumbled across a very important point that people don't think about is that if your problem is you have too much money and you need somewhere to put it, that's one of the indicators to start thinking about a corporation. So I like that way of thinking. Or if you can run your side hustle or your business so that you're not spending that money towards your lifestyle, it becomes a notional savings account for you. Exactly. And you're doing it at a tax preferential base. Does it feel like that as a business owner? No, because I'm paying taxes all the time. Like I'm constantly writing a check for installments or paying them (laughs) online. And so the emotional feeling about tax, you know, on a day-to-day basis is not any better until you start really doing the math. And you start thinking about that, you know, time value of money and when you're drawing it out. And but simple math with, you know, uh, here's the hand over face emoji uh, coming to life. That's really where, you know, in business, if you're not doing your own books, then you better have some pretty good line of sight to what you're doing. I was doing my own books um, and and, and still do because I stumbled upon the mistakes I was making. So so often Mm -hmm. you think about incorporation and you think about the expenses that you're spending and how many you can write off, but then the cold, hard cash that's kind of leaking out of your business. In my case, it was printer cartridges. Can you imagine? Like hand Ah. over face, walked into setting up the business. I'm going to get the cheap possible printer with an inkjet cartridge because my business, (laughs) I don't know how it's going to scale. And I was blowing the wad on printer cartridges and it was only through bookkeeping and simple math that I realized like I was in the printer cartridge making generating business as opposed to a consulting firm at one point. Yeah, it's got it's got to stop. And so really, the tax implications of the corporation come down to simple math um, mm-hmm. and really knowing your simple math and planning your simple math. And, and you know, I'm kind of living proof that, um, you know, it can be that simple to think about how you're going to pull your money out. Well, and I I like that you mentioned installments because as you were describing your own emotions about paying tax once you incorporated it, it made me think of myself because I think I actually said this out loud to one of my partners about the year after I incorporated. I was like, you told me I was going to pay less tax. I'm a tax lawyer. I knew this. I know this. Like this, I understand this concept. 
but I feel like all I do is write checks to the government. He kind of laughed at me and he said, you just got to get through the first couple of years. It's going to be fun. And it is, it is once you get through the first couple of years, but man, it just feels like you're cutting a check all the time. So I think part of this idea of incorporating and part of the idea of, well, what are the tax consequences? It's not just that, well, I'm paying less here than I was here. It's let's talk about cash flow Mm -hmm. because it's not so much, oh, now I'm just going to wait till the end of the year and then I'll pay whatever tax I have to pay. No, no, no. Now we have to start thinking about it from day one and this concept of installment payments and the idea that now you have to start cutting checks quarterly or monthly, depending on how you're filing to CRA. And you have to make sure there's money in the right bank account to be able to do that. And you have to go on in time because if you don't, you get in trouble. And so all of that complexity, you just have to set up the system. Once mm-hmm. it's set up and once you have a good cash flow, you're fine. But this idea of if you're used to being an employee, someone takes the tax off the top, you get handed a check and that's your money to do what you want with it. You have to kind of remove that hat and start thinking, no, now I'm almost like the employer. I have mm-hmm. the full amount of money. I'm now responsible to carve off an amount for tax and to carve off an amount for this and that and for professional fees. It's a very different way of thinking. Absolutely. It's a, it's almost reversing your mindset, but it's also it's like a roller coaster. So in the first year of my business, you haven't been assessed, especially if you start midway through a year and you don't pay any installments. So you Mm -hmm. kind of go on this holiday. And then the year that you're (laughs) celebrating the success of your business, the chickens come home to roost. And not only do you have to pay tax for that past year, you also have to pay it for every month in advance. And so you kind of get the double whammy of welcome to your great success. We'd like Mm -hmm. to take our piece now. But then at the end of that first year, when you've paid the installments, if you've done it right, you're only paying tax on the growth over the previous year. And so that feels good. So you end up in this constant tax roller coaster where your relationship with CRA and yourself (laughs) is like you're breaking up and making up as your business scales and grows. That is that is such a good thing to say. And I find that if you're thinking of incorporating and you're hiring your team, this is a great conversation to have at the start point with your accounting advisor or whoever you hired to say, can you give me an idea? Like if I was to, to make X amount in year one, what are the estimated taxes going to be? Because then you can start stockpiling some of this because you're right. It feels like a, a great vacation. And then all of a sudden it all comes crashing down very quickly. Um, And it's a huge number and it's very scary. And so if if you can kind of go into it going, I need to stockpile this amount, this is when it's going to happen. If you can remove the shock, then it's like you're ready. It's about being prepared. And the shock is sometimes the worst piece of it. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, how do, why do I feel bad about growing? And I think that that's a really nice segue into what we said would be topic number two, you know, how do you get a corporation so that you can do this? What are those systems you talked about setting up with the professionals and I, and I'm willing to admit to everybody here. I, I when I practiced law, I was a litigation um, lawyer. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, during the course of my articling time, I did one corporate closing in an effort to make sure that I had some basic competence there and never went back to do that type of work. And somehow mm-hmm. I had convinced myself, number one, that I needed to make an exorbitant amount of money to deserve or earn a corporation mm-hmm. to overcome what I'll call the financial cost of setting one up or the administrative burden of maintaining a corporation. Yes. Nothing 
could be further from the truth. And if I was feeling that way as a lawyer who had literally a front row seat to the room full of minute books and the corporate paralegals who were making them hum, they did an amazing, exceptional job of that work. But somehow I had convinced myself corporations were for people who had bags of money. Um, Corporations were for people who were smarter or could handle more complex things than me. Um, And that's actually not how it's been. And and I'd love to be able to demystify that for people, particularly those who have a side hustle that they want to grow into being a Mm full-fledged business. Every day that goes by that you're not doing that with some intentionality around the long game Mm -hmm. is a day that you're missing out on the tax and other, you know, liability, other benefits of incorporation. And so for me, here's how I think about it. Now, only after two years in, in business. The value I got in incorporating was from the professionals that helped me at the beginning. So I had an accountant and a lawyer, and they did very basic stuff for them, but gave me very critical advice. And that Mm -hmm. was around, how am I going to set up the share structure? Who am I going to issue shares to? And why? What are the bylaws of this corporation going to be? What are they going to say? What do I need to do? Very fundamental questions, but they were easy to answer. And that set up the corporation. What I feared a lot was the maintaining of my corporation. Mm-hmm. Oh, these mm-hmm. minute books, you got to fill in the minute books. Well, minute book is minutes of a meeting of like the mm-hmm. things that you have done, the transactions mm-hmm. that have happened, who got shares, who didn't, what, who, who's on the board, who's not. Yep. It's not that hard. And annual returns. I would like to tell you <laughs> that the annual return for my corporation I did two weeks ago was $65 and it took less than five minutes online. I have spent more than that, more time and more money on skip the dishes in the last week than I did on my annual returns. And so Mm -hmm. the maintenance of my corporation once set up was, has been very, very manageable. And then obviously I know I need professionals from time to time as my corporation changes. If I'm going to bring in other shareholders, if I'm going to bring in investors, if I'm going to Mm -hmm. do stuff, but the price and the investment of those professionals to set up the corporation has far paid for itself like 10 times over to be able to realize the benefits of incorporation. And so why, why do you think people like me are so scared to get a corporation? Like, what are we doing as lawyers or accountants to intimidate people into thinking that a corporate corporation might not be for them or might be too expensive? What do you think, Matt? I, I feel like when we were going to school and I think you and I are in the same kind of age range, but I don't remember anybody telling me that like entrepreneurship was mm. a profession. And I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs. I came from a family of T4 employees. And so it was just not something we did. People who owned businesses were like, whoa, those people are cool. They own businesses. That's not something I could do, right? That kind of idea. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it is that if you haven't grown up in an entrepreneurial family, if you haven't been exposed to that, there's a bit of a fear level. It's no different than the fear level about tax or about filing your taxes, right? If you're not exposed to that, it's scary. And so I think that's the starting point. The, the thing that scares me is when people start doing this stuff themselves. Ooh, yeah. That's when I get scared. And so I think you stumbled across a very good point, which is, yes, there is a cost to hire a team when you go to incorporate, but that will pay for itself tenfold because you'll get it done right the first time versus you kind of stumbling through and maybe doing an okay job, but then three or four years later, someone comes along and says, well, what about this? And what about that? 
and you realize you've never actually been trained in this or know what you're doing. And now we have to make changes and now that's going to cost money and maybe CRA is involved and it's a process. Uh So I always say to people, you know, you don't have to be making oodles of money to be incorporating. You're not, you know, I'm not saying to you, you got to be having $300,000 sitting somewhere just waiting. That's not the goal. But if the idea of hiring a lawyer and an accountant and spending, you know, three or four grand to get this thing started terrifies you and you don't have that money and you're not prepared to spend that money, maybe this isn't the time to incorporate. Absolutely. I think that's kind of the starting point that I usually come to. No, that's an excellent number. And somehow I thought that I needed to make a significant amount of money in order to justify that expense. But paying for, if we think about the time value of money, where we started this conversation, it pays for itself over time, particularly as I think about the number of the companies that I work with or organizations or individuals who are at the idea stage. Getting the foundation right, because you may want to bring in other capital, you may want to bring in other people, you may want to bring in an employee, and having those ducks in the row from the beginning makes this an enterprise that's both personally beneficial from a tax point of view, but Mm -hmm. also you know, sets you up for the long-term growth of your company or your side hustle or your enterprise or your idea becoming, you know, something more than just an idea on paper. And I, I think that's another very good point in that when you're incorporating, it shouldn't just be that you walk into a lawyer's office and say, I want to incorporate. And they go, OK, and they incorporate. Uh, it, it needs to be a conversation because and if you're if you're in that situation, and you're not having a conversation, try to start one. And if not, find someone who's prepared to have the conversation with you. And sometimes it's a group conversation between the lawyer, the accountant and you where you sit down and you just brainstorm. Here's why I want to do this. Here's what my my plans are for my business and my goals and my aspirations. And here's all the things I don't know and I'm worried about so that you can get all that out on the table and then we can incorporate for you, but then we can also give you markers. Mm -hmm. So we can say to you, when this happens, this is a trigger for something or watch out for this, Um, those kinds of things, because then you can feel empowered as a business owner to say, okay, I don't need to keep running back to you every five minutes. I know what my triggers are. I know what my markers are. I'm going to come back and see you when this happens. But in the meantime, I know here's my responsibilities. And so I think that's really important. It's not that we, we think you need to be forever chained to your advisors, no. but you need to be empowered and educated to understand how to run it yourself. Well, and it also starts with a story. Your corporation is part of your business, but it is also part of your family. And that's what I've also come to appreciate in the last year. So my husband has a successful law corporation, of which I am not a shareholder, given the rules around that. But he is a shareholder in my company, which often leads to jokes, as only lawyers would get, that, you know, if I do certain things, he's, you know, threatening to file an oppression remedy. Like the word oppression remedy gets thrown around the kitchen table. Our seven-year-old son's getting the worst education about what marriage should be like. But, you know, ultimately, you know, the corporation is like, all you know, the way that we plan our retirement. You have a pension yes. here. We have that. The corporation is part of that family unit. It is over that, that long-term family accumulation wealth strategy that is going to set us up for retirement. So mm-hmm. pulling something off the shelf and hoping it will go to work in a siloed approach wasn't going to be successful for us. I don't know that anybody like lives in this siloed mm-hmm. approach. You have family of all different shapes and sizes that characteristic or that color around the individual incorporating is so critically important. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, that was a great summary. I appreciate that. I think it's the take home message for this is this is not a moment to be a do it yourselfer. 
This is a moment to start finding your team. And then think of your corporation like part of your family. Decisions need to be made. Things need to be documented. It's just a different stage of your life, but it doesn't mean that you can't conquer it. You just need to understand what that different stage means. And it can have some great benefits. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I want to take a few minutes to explain who I am and why I started this podcast. I am a tax lawyer and I practice in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. I fell into the practice of tax law despite having a lifelong hatred of spreadsheets, math, and numbers in general. I feel pretty lucky because my day job allows me to have conversations with some wonderful people who are very knowledgeable in their fields of practice. I thought it might be fun to share some of these conversations with you. I know the tax can be complex, but there are some basic foundational principles and key information that you deserve to understand and to know. I hope that when you finish listening to each episode, you feel like you have learned at least one thing that will be helpful to you in your day-to-day life. And maybe we will even give you a laugh in the meantime. But enough about me. Back to the episode. Absolutely. And then I think, you know, that leads us into our third topic. And so you asked me, let's talk about dynamic. What what does my business do? What does my incorporated company do? It's in change management and strategy. We are a consulting service that provides bespoke, customized, strategic planning solutions for individuals, organizations, um, you know, large multinational companies, all of which are going through change. We try to be there as part of that team or that group that is, you know, leading a change management initiative from a, a strategy perspective. And I always say that strategy <coughs> really comes down to two things. Number one, the very intentional decision of what to do or what not to do. And oftentimes people think of strategy as that what to do. Hey, we have an idea. Now we're going to put it into plan. We're going to set goals and objectives. Equally as important is the decision of what I am going to not do. We cannot do everything. And that's kind of what this conversation has been about. When to incorporate, when not to, how to manage the taxes, what, who to involve. You're intentionally deciding those kind of markers or those triggers. I loved how you described that as what to do and what not to do. Well, the same thing happens as you're scaling and growing an enterprise or an mm-hmm. organization from ideation to, to growth. And so I really think about that. It also really hinges on the quality of the conversation. I once read a quote, and I should find the attribution, that says the difference between a strategy conversation and a budgeting conversation is the quality of the conversation. And so would you go into an enterprise without having a good quality conversation and really hope that it's going to have, you know, ultimate, uh, you know, success? No, right? The quality of the conversation is what's going to get you started. And so to bring that team together and then to start off with that quality conversation, strategic foundation is really important. But at the same time, strategy changes all the time. Like the world around us changed. Who do you think as an organization had global pandemic on their like (laughs) environmental scan for their company of things that could go wrong? Like we do now zero, (laughs) like zero had disaster planning or like PPE plan, you name it. Right. Like what would we do if nobody could actually come to this place? Like Mm -hmm. the the, the things that we've been through. And so, you know, there's dynamic things that change, 
incrementally on a micro level every day. There's these big macro changes. So what's the model? And, and for me, often my strategic plans end up looking an awful lot like the test for an injunction. Like what's the uh, three-step test, right? Is right, there a serious right. issue to be tried, right? Is yes. there the, the irreparable harm, right? All those types of things. And really taking that lawyer's mindset into strategic planning. Number one, what do we do and not do? If it's something we don't do, we stop. We don't do it. And then what's next? Are we exploring an idea? And is it going to be something that we're just kicking the tires on? Or are we committing? and doing and investing and putting people's time, energy and money behind that. That's for me, the model that has worked in my business so that I can keep going back to my professionals and saying, mm-hmm. okay, we do this, we don't do this. This is where we're going to be heading. And so that gives me the ability that to be able to pick up the phone and call my lawyer to call my, um, well, my mm-hmm. lawyer's in my house, I, or call my accountant and say, <laughs> it's, it's both a blessing and a curse, uh, you know, be able to, to call and say, hey, this is what just happened today, but you know the long-term trajectory I'm on. And we know that this is in scope or out of scope based on what we talked about and, and part of the possibilities. And so for me, you know, I can't reinforce enough the need to have that team around you to help you set that strategy and then understand it because it's going to evolve every minute mm-hmm. of a business. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you 100%. And I, I feel like even the decision to incorporate that is part of your strategic planning. And it might be that you you have these discussions with your team and everyone goes, nope, we're going to wait a year. Or you have the discussions and then somebody else says, yeah, let's do it right now. Well, as long as we know what the long-term goals are and we know that that's fitting in as part of the goals, great. It's not just we woke up one morning and read something on the news and thought, oh, let's incorporate bad idea to incorporate because of that. Like there has to have been a discussion. So I think that's really important. And I think the other thing that's really important, you said, if people get stuck on this, that they make a goal or they make a plan and then they feel like they have to follow through with it. Because I don't know if that's how we were brought up to where it's like you put something on a list. So therefore you must do it. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, everybody just needs to realize goals change and the world is not going to end. If yes. you have made a goal and then you realize partway through you don't want this anymore or it doesn't serve you, then dispense with that goal and come up with a new one. You are not married to it. And yes. so goal planning, I mean, the idea of it being dynamic. So your discussion about dynamic decision making and dynamic strategic planning, it's dynamic because it's ever changing. And if your, if your set of strategic plans or your goals stay exactly the same for the whole life of your business, you're never growing or evolving or becoming what you could be. And Mm -hmm. so it's okay to make changes and it's okay to discard bad ideas, but you need to have an ongoing dialogue. And I think that's kind of what you're promoting is this constant dialogue that the people that are around you that are supporting you are part of that dialogue and helping you to kind of reframe yourself. So if you're making a decision, it's, well, what is our goals? Does this match our goals or are we changing our goals? Mm -hmm. But that someone's always holding you accountable for that. Absolutely. There, there needs to be the, the ability to change. And so somehow I thought if I incorporate, then I must continue on this path in this unique way, or that within the corporation, it will always look a particular way. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't, right? Like every year, right. a fiscal year is a different year. 
both in growth and revenue, but also in expenses, and then add in a pandemic. And one of those years, well, wait a second, how does this look, right? And so that ability to make sure that you can stay on a path, but with the wiggle room to be able to change and understand how far from the path am I? And am I going in a complete U-turn? Or am I going steadily kind of, you know, adjacent to this path is is a pretty important way of thinking about growing and scaling an operation. And I think it's important to feel in control, you know, not not to let the corporation control you, but you control the corporation and you control your business. You make decisions. So if you're ever in that situation where you feel like, oh, I have to do this, I have no choice. Well, you probably are not actually in that situation, but that's how someone's made you feel. Mm. And so you need to feel in control. And the only way to feel in control is to be curious, to ask good questions, and to keep pushing until you fully understand. And there is no shame in asking that same question three or four times. And there is no shame in seeking out direction because that is your job as a business owner is you, you deserve to know. And your business will flourish and be so much more successful if you feel like you understand what's going on, don't let somebody else take that away from you and make that decision for you. You are the business owner. You are the entrepreneur. And it's amazing how in this world we've somehow gone to, I'll ask all my questions by email or, you know, we have all these new tools to communicate, but yet we're not picking up the phone and calling people. And so both, both my accountant and my lawyer would say like, could you please not send me a long email detailing all the things that are in your mind? Like, just pick up the phone and call me and we'll talk about it. Yes. A, from an education and dialogue perspective, but also from a record keeping and management perspective mm-hmm. as well. And so that's become really good advice. Those are people you should call. These conversations like this are, you know, you know, few and far between. So much of what I do in my business is find ways for people to facilitate that quality conversation around strategy. Mm-hmm. And it never involves, can you send each other an email and decide it? It's about a Zoom breakout room. It's about a survey yes. that allows everybody to share their opinion. It's about all those different types of ways to engage with humans in, 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 in really conversational ways where dialogue gets us to, you know, from point A to point B. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love that you said that there's been times in my life where professionals have made me feel small or silly mm-hmm. for asking a question, whether it's a doctor or other lawyers, et cetera. But, you know, finding trusted advisors that you can pick up the phone and say, like, I don't I don't understand what the service is. it something I yeah. should be applying for? I don't know. Like and I've read like yes. six articles on it, but my pandemic brain doesn't help me understand if I should be doing that or not. No, why? Yes. Oh, help me understand. And And I think, you know, what I love about your podcast is that you're creating that safe place for people to listen to conversations and then go off and have their own. So thanks again for having me. Oh, thank you. No, I think it's very important to normalize these discussions. And I know even with some of my business clients, I've started doing this new thing lately where we kind of touch base like quarterly and we just kind of have this set meeting. But if nobody wants it, we just cancel it. But if we find we want it, we have it. And it's just a fun conversation. And they do a brain dump. Here's all the stuff that's going on. Do I need to worry about any of this? And I go, well, how about this? And how about this? And and maybe we'll, we'll table this for the next meeting. But it lets you have that dump and it lets you come up with a plan. And then again, you know the triggers, you know where you need to go. And you can move forward. And so it's important to have people on your team like you, for example, or other professionals who will allow you to have those conversations and will allow you to ask all the questions that you want to ask without making you feel small. If someone makes you feel small, you need to find a new advisor because they are a small person. 
Yeah. It's not acceptable and no one should ever make you feel that way. And so I really want to try to encourage people to, to realize they deserve that for themselves. Thanks for having me today. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being a place where people can have conversations and, uh, and for making what I'll call incorporation literacy possible, uh, you know, that for that future generation, who's going to grow up with an entrepreneurial mindset. It's so important. Well, thank you very much. I really hope we can like meet in the same room at some point in our lives. That would be really fun. And I have to have you back on again. You're just such a wealth of knowledge. And I really appreciate the open and honest way that you've discussed this, both with respect to your clients, but also with respect to your own personal experience. I think there's a lot of value in that. So thank you so much. My, my pleasure. Well, that is all we have time for today, folks. I hope we gave you some food for thought or at least made you smile. Please see the show notes for any resource material that we reference throughout the episode and to find out more about today's guest. If you have an idea for a future episode or a burning question you would like to see discussed, please send me an email at the taxchickpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and click subscribe to be notified when new episodes are posted. Please note that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast episode belong solely to the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the speaker's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. In addition, the information provided and discussed in this podcast is not legal advice. We encourage you to consult with your legal advisor for specific advice.